listen to full-length, commercial-free episodes of the Divorcing Religion podcast on Patreon. Please sign up at patreon.com forward slash Janice Selby or click the link in the show notes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorcing Religion podcast. I'm your host, Janice Selby. I'm a registered professional counselor and a religious recovery consultant. I am tickled, tickled to have David C. Smalley as my guest today. And he is a very exciting guest. So I had to write out some things. So I didn't want to forget them. In addition to being a successful comedian and actor with over 100 million views on TikTok, David C. Smalley has also hosted his own podcast for over 12 years, making over 600 episodes downloaded some 60 million times. Can you believe it? The David C. Smalley podcast includes discussions that are inspiring and funny with cordial debates on skepticism, religion, spirituality, politics, and more. I was privileged to join David on one of his episodes to discuss religious trauma and recovery. And now I'm delighted that he's joining me here as a guest on the Divorcing Religion podcast. Welcome, David Smalley. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely intro. I appreciate it. So nice to see you. I know you're terribly busy living that Hollywood LA kind of uh, life. And so for you to make time to join me on my fledgling show was really appreciated. Well, I, I, I love what you do and I want to be you when I grow up. Um, <clears throat> when I was in college, when I didn't start college, I was in my mid twenties. Um, because I thought you had to be rich to go to college. That's just what I was always taught. I didn't know student loans were a thing. I know this uh-huh. sounds silly, but I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just, I kept thinking when I started figuring out this whole religion thing, and I was also in school for psychology, I thought, I want to be a therapist that helps people overcome the traumas of religion. Mm. And I looked everywhere and it didn't exist. There was Mm -hmm. no such thing. And this was Mm -hmm. probably 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And so I was really discouraged and even really starting that path because of that. So um, several years later, I remember bumping into a few therapists who were in that field a little, but it Mm -hmm. it it wasn't so specific. It was more like, um, PTSD stuff yeah. that was connected to religious abuse, mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't you know so much recovering from actual religious trauma. And then when recovering from religion started, I thought, wait a minute, this is becoming a thing finally. Yeah. Then I was already in the my whole podcast, entertainment, stand up comedy thing, and so when I heard your title and I heard what you did several years ago when we first met, I just went on one hand. I was I was a little envious that you had found that, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I could have kept going and, and found that. And on the other hand, I was so happy that someone was out there doing it. Yeah. I think you're doing it so much better than I ever could. I feel like I found my lane, and I enjoy it, and I'm so happy you're doing what you do. So it's an honor to to be on your program with Thank you. you. I love what you do. I love That's it. That's so delightful. Thank you. And I got to say, it was a it was a hard road well-earned to get here because I come from a very fundamentalist background and I had to free myself by divorcing religion. And I also divorced my husband and that kind of started me on the trajectory to where I am today. I think people would be interested to know a little bit about your background and how religion impacted you. So... I don't know how far you want to go back. I mean, my first religious memory is one that uh, my mother denies mm. <clears throat> and swears I made it up, but I don't know how I could have. Um, my first religious memory was I was about five years old and... <clears throat> Um, No, I'll take it back. This is my second. So my first religious memory was I was between four or five. Mm. And I don't know why. I think there were big kids outside riding bikes around Halloween and they had masks on. Oh, sure. It seemed very demonic and devilish and it it scared me. And I had some Mm. sort of four-year-old panic attack. My mom was going to be leaving. She was going out. And I just kept telling my mom, I don't want to be here. I'm scared. I don't want to be home without you here. 
And so my mom asked my sister to read the Bible to me to calm me down. And I don't know where she started or why, but it worked. For some reason, whatever part she picked, I felt so much better. Nice. And so it it started off being a very positive thing for me. Mm -hmm. And then shortly thereafter, right around the age of five, I remember being in my room and I was thinking about all the bad things that happen in the world because that's what a neurotic five-year-old does. (laughs) And I was wondering how I could save everyone. I wanted to know how I could fix the problems of the world. And I thought, Mm. well, no matter if they're a bank robber or a killer or some kind of bad guy, everything is connected to Satan and the demons. So if I can just fix the demons, then that will make all the problems go away. Like I was really working this out like a good project manager. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I thought the old demons are probably too far gone and very powerful and scary, and I don't want them. But surely they have babies, and those are going to be the demons of the future. Oh. So why don't we just adopt baby demons and raise them to be good? Oh, my God. That was my five-year-old plan oh. to save the world. Oh. And then I started oh. thinking, my mom's never going to go for me having baby demons in the house. Uh. <laughs> so how could I get my mom to let me take in some baby demons? Oh. And so I thought I nailed it, but I walked in the living room and I was like, mom, do you think maybe baby demons are cute? (laughs) I had pictured in my head, you know, tiny little toddler demons, heads and eyes and wobbling around. Of course, they got the little pointy tails, but they're adorable, you know? Sure. And... I thought my mom was going to go for it and be like, yeah, they're probably pretty cute. And then I was going to be like, well, why don't we get a couple? And we're going to save the world because <laughs> there would be no one wanting to bring evil about the earth. There we go. Instead, because I said baby demon and cute, um, I was snatched up, taken to the bathroom and a bar of dial soap was shoved into my mouth. Oh, no. And so uh, there was water running, and she was scrubbing my teeth and tongue with a bar of oh, soap dear. to wash the my mouth out because I had wow. said that a demon might be cute. Wow. And all that did was make me never want to tell her anything. Yeah. Uh, it certainly mm-hmm. didn't make me not want to help the demons. I thought Mm -hmm. maybe one already got to her. Like, this is awful Mm -hmm. the way she's treating me. Mm -hmm. So uh, I didn't really talk to her about much after that. You know, I think when it came to religion, I was probably 11 or 12 before I brought anything else up again. And it had to do with, um, I think I asked her if God could see through covers. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. I'll let you just worry about that one later. I was just curious. Can you see through my Ninja Turtle blanket? No. Um, and then after that, of course, you like, huh? and I, that didn't go well either. So I don't think we ever talked about it again until I was, you know, about 25. And I went, I don't believe this stuff, mom. I've been reading about it and I think I'm an atheist. And and that's not what she wanted. But yeah, I've got a whole story, I guess, that I, I wrote about in my book called Baptized Atheist. And it's essentially me being baptized is the moment that made me really think about this stuff. It felt official. It felt real. How old were you? Uh, 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, um, the, I, I start the book off by saying, uh, the pastor asked, I'm standing in the warm, holy water in the baptistry. And he said, do you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you may enter the kingdom of heaven? And I said, yes. And then he put me under the water and it felt like I was under there forever because I was just like, it felt so official and it was in front of an audience and I'd never been asked that question directly. Mm -hmm. And I just, I immediately doubted everything. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like I'm under the water being baptized and I'm just how does punishing the innocent pardon the guilty why would a God set this up? And why am I just now thinking about this right now? I'm in a row. Epiphany in the baptismal tank. Yeah. And then I came up and I was just mortified. And and so now I'm like, I've got this stench on me of holy water. Mm. And it wasn't that it was bad. It's that I felt bad. 
right. I felt like I had poisoned the water, that right. I poisoned the church by being there. I felt mm. evil for not immediately believing everything. Did I just lie in a church filled with holy water? Is anybody else going to be okay getting in that water? I was wow. terrified that I had just oh. done something awful. And then uh, I was immediately told I have to go win souls. So we got to mm -hmm. go door knocking. So I'm standing there still fresh out of the baptistry waiting for the other kids to be baptized and the pastor and i write this in the book must have seen the doubt on my face because mm -hmm. he never looked at me he just leaned down to me and he goes you know son you can't just say you believe you got to know it to be true in your heart and when he said that everything changed for me because i was like i don't i didn't tell him that i was like i don't wow. believe any of this stuff wow and i didn't i didn't go now i'm an atheist i went I've got to figure this stuff out before someone finds out I'm having doubts. Mm -hmm. So I dove into the book and I was reading the Bible and I was winning souls, door knocking. And the more I read the Bible, the less it made sense. Mm -hmm. and, the, and then I would research why I would, I was getting, this was 1995, 1996. So I was grabbing encyclopedias. I was going to libraries. I was spending my time figuring out like, where did this book come from? Who really yeah. wrote Mark? Is Mark a real person? What language was it in? Are there books of the Bible that are missing? Why does my mom's Bible have the Apocrypha and my dad's Bible doesn't? Like right. what is going on? And they're all both called the Bible. And I was making notes and making notes, making notes. And I did this for 14 years. Wow. And eventually said uh, I, that basically I, I was trying to get close to God and I got so close I saw that there was no need for one. Mm. Wow. That's, that is quite a, quite a story. So, um, we know your mom was religious because she asked big sister to read you a Bible story when you were in distress, uh, was church going a regular part of your life? I have never known my mom to be in a church. Um, when I got baptized, I was going to church on my own. It actually happened because of a school event. Um, oh boy. That's how they got me. They, mm -hmm. it was called fifth quarter, and they came to a football game, stayed all four quarters, and then gathered kids up who were vulnerable or latchkey kids or mm -hmm. kids who had no dads at home or whatever or single parent homes, and gathered us all up and said, "Hey, to get you off the street so that you're not partying after the game, why don't you come to church?" Right. And that's how they got me, and I I went with a group of friends and. I ended up doing the altar call and walking down and crying. Yes, I've touched my pee pee. You know, <laughs> it's that that whole guilt thing that whether you feel like they're talking to you. Have you masturbated? Uh -huh. Have you had thoughts about women? And I'm like, uh -huh. every 11 minutes, I'm. <laughs> and so I just confessed that I had, you know, had impure thoughts and um, gave my life to Christ. And then I was also a drummer i was a, i was a musician and so uh they immediately asked me to start playing in the in the church choirs and things uh -huh. like that. So, and then i was able to make money like i was being paid to be part of the band at church and wow. as that 14 years that i was going through i was i was you know i was part of the worship uh, uh ministry and so yeah it was a pretty big part of my life i was going to church my mom i think my mom came one time mm -hmm. uh, she watched me get baptized and I don't recall her ever going back, um, ever. She's not a church person. She doesn't mm -hmm. like it. And yet she sure had a hard time with your uh, deconversion. Well, yeah, because for her, uh, church is, I mean, God is, it's her personal relationship. She would always say, I talk to God like he's sitting on the edge of my bed, like he's my best friend, not like um, he's an authoritarian or a father figure that I have to go to his house and worship. Um she always would say church is whenever two or more people are talking about God. So um, she would consider this church literally. Hmm. So she, she thinks if she's sitting, you know, if she's in prayer, she's in church. Right. So she, she's against the organization of it. She's against the, you know, write down your name and address. I think yeah. she was a member of a church one time and she missed a Sunday and they came and knocked on her door. Oh. Why she wasn't at church. And she was like, <laughs> a little too interesting. My porch. <laughs> She's still, she's still a badass redneck too. You know what I mean? She'll still be like, mm, how about I kick your ass? And you know, so she's, she's a, she's a tough lady, but she's, she's religious. So she's got that. I've got a personal relationship with God, but I'm not going to go play the game and be a part of a church and give right. donations. You know? So was your, has your relationship with her 
um, changed as a result of you moving away from the faith and, and particularly them being in the line of work um, that you do, which can be, you know, somewhat X-rated. Uh, so how does mom uh, cope with that? How does that affect your relationship? So as far as my comedy being the, the X or R rated, like hardcore comedy, she thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> she comes to the comedy. It. She comes to the comedy show. Oh I'm, my God. When I'm touring and I'm in the Dallas area, she'll, she'll, she'll come. <laughs> matter of fact, at the end of my last show that we filmed, I did like a half hour. Uh, I did a, had everybody in the club raise a drink to my mom for it was her birthday. Oh, and I had them, it was her 70th birthday and we did a toast to her and she had just beat breast cancer as well. So, wow. uh, she came with a bunch of people that was sold oh. out. It was a huge show. We, we, we so had a cool. blast. So she has a good time at my shows. Right um, on. And she'll even text me sometimes and reference some of the jokes I said that night. And so she's, she had a good time. Um, the me moving away from religion definitely strained our relationship, mm. uh, the first several years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uninvited to Easter, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I was pointing out the hypocrisy of the whole thing. You know, I, I was explaining the history of where it came from and the rabbit and the egg and the, mm-hmm. you know, Esther and all the history that we all know. And I was talking about, you know, the fertility goddess and all this. I was like, that's where we got it from. And it was co-opted by Christians as a, as an adaptive technique to take over. It was never really thought, you know, that Jesus actually did that or whatever. And so I did the same with Christmas. You know, I was like, Jesus, if he existed and if he was born, was not born when it was winter. Right. Mm -hmm. Probably around March or April, as the scholars say. And so they didn't like any of that. And all I was doing is listing like what most scholars agree to Mm -hmm. and my mom was very upset. I passed mm-hmm. out car. I passed out winter solstice cards one year at Christmas. <laughs> oh my God. I was I was banned for a couple of years for passing out a winter solstice card. Oh, I was saying, don't you. be Christian. I was just saying, here's some history behind it, and that was a no no. So, um, but then you know, my whole family like they give gifts and they have dinner and they drink a bunch of vodka and smoke cigarettes and you know, have edibles or smoke weed. I mean, it's a, it's any other party. And, and so I never understood, you know, and then when I was like, mom, it's not really, you don't really celebrate it. Like it's anything religious. And she would take a firm stand and be like, when we're celebrating in my home, it's for Jesus. I'm like, really? You're smoking a pack of Winston's for Jesus. For Jesus. In yeah, Jesus I'm like, hand. you're having, are you going to make you a, a alcoholic drink for Jesus? It doesn't make any sense. There's so many people in the South do that. There's such it's it's hypocritical, you know, mm. to to say no. This is a religious experience, and if you're a non-believer, you're not welcome. Right. But then all you do is eat fried chicken and drink alcohol. You're you're not. That's not a religious <laughs> celebration. You know, your body is a temple. You're definitely not doing what God mm. or Jesus had commanded in the Bible. But whatever. I think more so it was I was a reminder that that there were inconsistencies. And if I wasn't there, then they were never confronted with mm-hmm. the nonsense that they were supposed to supposedly celebrating, or they weren't confronted with the contradiction that they were having right. by smoking and drinking on the Lord's Day, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, mm. now things are better, or they got better for a long time. My mom even agreed to come on my podcast once, mm. but she wouldn't talk about religion. It was only politics, and that has been more of a divisive thing than religion ever was. Wow. Her okay. stuff with Trump and DeSantis and oh, immigration dear. and um, misinformation and TikTok and OAN yeah. and Fox News. And that stuff has driven oh. driven my mother and I apart. Yeah. Uh, because, and I'll, I'll stop blabbering and let you ask questions, I promise. <laughs> but I just want to say it's, and, and I think a lot of people will relate to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so bizarre. I don't really call it ironic. It's it's more bizarre that the very people who taught us right from wrong mm-hmm. taught us to be good for goodness sake, not to appear good, right. to be honest, to have integrity, to treat people with respect, to yeah. love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. These people... Um, some of these people who raised us to believe these things are supporting one of the most immoral 
disgusting, grotesque human beings that have ever walked the face mm-hmm. of the earth and mm-hmm. defending it and defending lies and defending misinformation and not caring that millions were dying during COVID while it was being ignored or, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are suffering and need asylum from their countries and need help and are running from drug cartels. And you just mm-hmm. want to build a wall so that they're trapped yeah. in this location. Like I, I keep pushing back and saying, what would Jesus do? Like exactly. I find myself an atheist Mm-hmm. talking with these believers going, what do you think Jesus would say? Do you think Jesus would say, build the damn wall? Do you think Jesus would say, lock her up? Like, come on. Where, How does she where, respond? Um, she'll actually try to find Bible verses where Jesus right. talked about following the law. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you do realize the only thing that makes it a law is the fact that you're it's illegal to cross. They're not bad people. They're running. And by the way, side note, the vast majority of people, especially that are being shipped to Martha's Vineyard and all right. this other nonsense, are here legally mm-hmm. seeking asylum, mm-hmm. filling out paperwork, and waiting to be processed. Yeah. And then they're being shipped out of state, which is very questionable as far as what laws are being yes. broken by doing that. So yes. they're not illegals a human being cannot just be illegal right. where's the compassion where's the care for people that are needing exactly. help and i think i know my mom i know she's she does love people and i know she would give her last dollar to feed somebody i would love to just take my mom to the border and talk to a person mm-hmm. like, why did you want to come here what's going on in your life my mom would be in tears and say come live with me right yes but she's yes. So, she's disconnected from the human aspect of it mm-hmm. because Tucker Carlson and OAN and these TikToks yeah. are going, what are they really here to do? Are they here to steal and rape and kill? Mm-hmm. Maybe you should be careful. Maybe you should lock your doors. Mm-hmm. And now she gets afraid and they, right. they're fear mongerers. So yeah. she gets wrapped up in misinformation. And I told her the other day, I was like, mom, you always told me believe half uh what you say believe none of what you hear and half of what you see mm-hmm. i'm like but you're believing everything on TikTok. Yes. yes like so just that skepticism you taught me mm-hmm. remember it and put it into practice mm-hmm. that compassion and love that you taught me remember it and put it to practice i want mm-hmm. i i told her the other day i said i want you to raise yourself the way you raised me because I love humanity because of what you taught me. And right. it seems that you're giving that up to follow yeah. this, mm-hmm. this political warrior into a rabbit mm-hmm. hole. And it's so bizarre to watch the woman who led my moral framework yeah. supporting a man who was so corrupt. It's yeah. heartbreaking. Oh, it is just devastating. And I, I'm sorry to hear that. And I really wish that yours was an isolated case, but it's absolutely not because in my practice, I hear from people all over the United States who feel that they have lost their parents to QAnon or to whatever, you know, they're, they're subscribing to at the moment that is uh, so toxic and, uh, and difficult. And it's really frustrating. I mean, we, where would we be without technology? It's done so many wonderful things. It makes our communication possible, but it's also easy to hijack technology um, and use it against people. So that is such a frustration. I'm going to get us back to your story. Um, uh, So you, you got baptized at 15 and then at some point you went to you went to college you had mentioned that to me was college before or after uh you rejected the faith after it was after i i had probably quietly rejected the faith around age 19 mm-hmm. um 15 were heavy doubts 15 to 19 was exploration 19 i was going I don't think this is for me, but I was still a drummer in the church. Yeah. So I kept my job. Mm-hmm. But I was also a drummer in a heavy metal band. And I was <laughs> too young to drink, but I was in the clubs. That's drums. right. Drums. So I was showing Saturday night, I was getting big black X's on my hand right. and, you know, playing heavy metal <laughs> yeah. until 1 30 in the morning. And then I was <sighs> rolling to church at 9 15, <sighs> like cigarettes and beer. <laughs> With you know these X's still on my hands, just in the back, like yay, Holy Ghost, whatever. You know, uh, I was living this weird double life. Yeah. Uh, 
but um, I, I, I just went on this personal journey of sitting down with theology professors and and asking them questions. I asked my own pastor. You know, I mm. walked into my walked into his office one day and said, "Do you have a minute?" And I said, uh, "Some some guys at at my job said that uh, they're they're Pentecostal and they said that Jesus and God are definitely two separate entities, and Jesus is the Son and God is the Father, and anyone who says that they are one and the same is a heretic." And I said, but I've heard you say that Jesus is God, so can you help me out? And, you know, those those guys at, at work had flipped through the Bible with me at lunch, mm-hmm. working at a tire shop, and they'd flipped through the Bible with me and proven to me beyond reasonable doubt with the Bible that Jesus and God were definitely two different people. There's mm-hmm. a verse in Mark 10 where Jesus says, um, why do you, someone calls him good? And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good. No one is good except God alone. Some versions say no one is good except the father in heaven, mm-hmm. clearly separating him. There are verses where he says, God sent me or my father sent me to tell you this. If I am me and I decide to go tell my daughter something, I'm not going to say, Hey, David told me to tell you. Right. I, I wouldn't call myself my own father. It doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. So they, I was so clear that no. Jesus isn't God. Jesus is the son of God. And then my pastor was mortified. And mm-hmm. so he began to flip through the very same book using different scriptures yes. and prove to me beyond all reasonable doubt that Jesus is in fact God. Yes. And yes. I, he thought this was a victory. And all this was really was like 20 or 21 year old me going, Oh, this Bible is subject to manipulation for whatever you want to believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I started really deconstructing at that point. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to theology professors and I would talk to lay Christians and preachers and pastors and everybody that I could as I was writing my book. And I just kept making notes about holes I would find. And I talked to a publisher one day and I was like, I feel like I'm going to write this book forever because there's not an end. And it was uh, Dr. Frank Zindler said to me, um, books aren't finished, they're abandoned. So you're just going to have to stop and move on with something else. And so wow. I stopped my book and he published it for me through American Atheist Press. Wow. And still to this day, 100% of the proceeds of the, of the paperback go to American Atheist. And what's the book called again? Baptized Atheist. Baptized Atheist. Now, the wow. the audio version, I released that version in 2010. The audio version came out in 2012, um, and I made some revisions. I actually changed my mind on a few things in the audio book. So I, I explained, this is what I said in the book, and here's what I feel now, and I made a little bit of an update. Um, I overstated, like, Constantine's role in the canonization and things like that in the paper. Yeah. I, I corrected that in the audio book. Okay. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a whole, like that was, it kind of started happening around the same time. I, I, I was deconverting for several years. Then mm-hmm. I started college as I was finishing my deconversion process and right. college really helped with the research aspect and the, um, just understanding what words mean, understanding different yes. bases from the languages, understanding translation errors. Right and confirmation bias and certain Mm -hmm. fallacies and things like that. Cause I was going to school for psychology to be a therapist. And so uh, I, I, I realized a lot of what was happening in the church and I was starting to understand sort of the, you know, narcissistic behaviors of some of the pastors and some of the control issues that they had. And I was like, Oh wait, this is, this is group psychology. Freud talked about this in 1921 Mm -hmm. where he would say like, um, you know, people of my group, uh, will make mistakes, but that's due to an external influence over them. Mm-hmm. But I know they're good because they're in my group. Mm-hmm. And when your group makes mistakes, it's because you're in the bad group. Right. Right. So that's why oh. that's why parishioners of a church can have a pastor that's, you know, convicted of 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 child molestation or, mm. or infidelity or something horrific. And and they'll go, well, we're praying for him. He's a sinner. He apologized. Yeah. But if they hear, hear that an atheist did it, like, oh, yeah, because he has no morality. Right. It's never, you never give a pass to the other guy. So mm-hmm. um, I was, I think, I don't know if I wrote this or if I talked about it on the podcast, but I I describe uh, Sigmund Freud's group psychology by saying, 
the idea is that the, the ego of the group replaces the ego of the individual. Mm -hmm. So when you see guys in 12 de degree weather at Mile High Stadium with Broncos written across their chest, mm -hmm. there's one guy who's freezing with a giant R on his chest. It means nothing. He's miserable. His ego means nothing. His warmth means nothing. He's sacrificing so much for the group to be fanatics of a football team. Yeah. So the group's ego has replaced his own. And the problem is when you go to someone in that group with that mindset and you tell them that their religion doesn't make sense, what you don't realize you're doing is you're asking them to remove a piece of themselves. Mm -hmm. You're saying your ego is invalid because mm. they, they are now intertwined. Yeah. And so I, I then made it my mission to help other non-believers talk to believers in a way that wasn't going to be so confrontational, in a way that was more of a rescue mission from love as opposed to a confrontational battle because you're Jeez. stupid and I'm smart, right? And and this led must have led into your podcast development way back when podcasts must have been shiny and new and you were right yeah. on it. You know, funny note about that. I actually had a podcast before the word existed. What? I did. I started in 2003. It was a music and comedy podcast. And it was just, it was called internet radio that you could listen to later in archives. And there was no word for it. And in 2004, the word podcast eventually was. Oh, over. wow. Yeah. I had a, I had a show that you could go listen to before RSS feeds were invented. <laughs> so that's how long I've been in the game. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So then 2010, I was like, Hey, I want to use that stuff I did for comedy and music. And actually instead of, you know, I'd had a blog called dogmadebate.com, and that's where people would argue mm -hmm. about stuff. And I was trying to keep it cordial and I would moderate. Yeah. I couldn't get to everybody. It got really popular. And I was like, what if I just invited them on to have a conversation? So the first thing I did was I would record myself calling into religious internet radio shows. Oh, I would record it and then I would play it. And then I thought that's kind of a copyright issue, right? It's their show and I'm recording it and playing it. So I shouldn't do that. So I would just invite them onto my show and record it. And we started with Xbox headsets, you know, yeah. and, uh, and a giant Macintosh computer. And that was the beginning of dogma debate, which eventually became the David C. Smalley podcast. And, you know, I did wow. it from 2010 to 2013. And at that moment it became my full-time job and I haven't looked back. I mean, I've been wow. doing this full-time since 2013. I was able to quit my IT job. So. Oh my gosh. And, and so, um, the comedy, has the comedy been something that you have done all along at, as a the same time you were doing the podcast? So that's such a good question. I actually did comedy in 2001, one time. I was 21 years old. I went up. I had one joke. Was it about fish? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it wasn't about fish. That's an inside joke that they're not going to get. But um, right. <laughs> uh, I... I did one joke and I thought that was just going to get me started. And then I was going to crush it for the next 10 minutes. Right. And I did my one joke that I'd written and I thought I was just going to like vibe with the crowd. That's not the way comedy works. You've got to mm -hmm. write, you've got to perfect your material. Mm -hmm. I did my one joke and panicked. I got a laugh, but I panicked and went, yeah, that's about it for me. And they were like, what? You've been up here 45 seconds. And then so they laughed a little bit and I thought, oh yeah, I can't go yet. So I did the little crowd work. I talked to some ladies up front. And I made fun of a guy and they laughed. And then I was I ran out of steam. I did about 90 seconds and went, okay, that's my time. And I didn't do comedy again until I was 35 years old. Oh. 36, 36 actually at the reason rally. So I'd always wanted to do it. I wanted to do it since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was my one time trying it. And I was like, never again. That was horrific. <laughs> and then when I was 36, I got invited to host a comedy show at the reason rally. And so I was like, I think I can write this time. And I'd had a great set in front of 500 people. It was so oh, cool. And I, that's when it, that's when the bug bit me. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm a little bit of a late start when it comes to the standup, <laughs> but, but it's important to note that all that time in between, I was either in bands, a lead singer in a band mm -hmm. or giving talks about skepticism or atheism or talking right. with believers. 
And I was doing so, and I always try to make it fun and lighthearted. So I was writing jokes, and I was on stage doing 45 minutes at a time. So when I actually went to the, the first comedy club in Los Angeles, which was the comedy stores where I actually started, um, I was way more comfortable on stage than a new comedian should be. Yes. So I kind of had a head start. You yeah. Know, You're so good with people. You, you, I think you have an ability to put people at ease and make them feel comfortable. I know you do that in your podcast. So it makes sense that uh, with your comedy, people also just feel like they can relate to you. Well, thank you so much for that. It's very sweet. <laughs> it, it's weird on stage because I, I try to do that, but sometimes the, the angle of the bit is like anger or something vicious. And it's weird because they're like, we don't, you look mean if you look, we look at your picture, but you don't come across that way on stage. So I can't be the, I can't be the mean guy to be funny. It's just not believable. So I get, I get what you're saying. I, I, I try to have a good time up there and, uh, Sometimes I have to be a jerk, but mostly it's it's fun, you know. The so I, TikTok stuff you're doing with your daughter. Oh my god. I literally laugh out loud every time I watch you. It's just hysterically funny. I love that, it. That warms my heart. I, I appreciate that. We've actually started a whole podcast called Daughter Issues. Um that we do about that. It's about the generation gaps. What for people who haven't seen it, I basically just I started ambushing my daughter as though there were we were in the 90s and there were problems I needed help with. And I would just come around the corner and be like, um, Windows 98 crashed. Have you seen my floppy? She's 18. She's, she has no clue what any of those words mean. And she what would just stare at me and be about? like, What? And I would be in a panic. I'm like, Windows 98 crashed. I got to reboot in safe mode. Have you seen my floppy? And she's like, floppy, what? And it I just cut the video off right there, but what you're not listening to is me dying laughing. So I started posting things like that and exploring like the generation gap. And I noticed people, there were young people, there were Gen Zers who were sending it to their parents going, oh. what's he talking about? This is crazy. And then older Gen X or boomers were sending the videos to their kids going, this guy messes with his daughter the way I mess with you. Oh. So everyone's sharing it with each other and the videos take off. And so we're bringing like, people there's, together. There's something here. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I got to tell you, my show that I do gets really heavy sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. so it's so nice to be able to sit down with my daughter who I'm very close with and have a fun conversation. We just did one right before I came on with you about nice. toys and I got to tell her about, you know, pogs and stretch Armstrong and, and he man. And <laughs> it's so nice to just have a fun conversation like that. That's not so deep and heavy about mm -hmm. religious belief and you're going to hell and you have no morality oh. and women can't have abortions. And it's so nice to have a, a peaceful, fun conversation like that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, I started on uh, TikTok just doing um, kind of an alter ego or a, a different persona. Um, for myself and i still i'm talking uh typically about religious type stuff but i'm doing it just from a, a more comedic um angle and it's a really nice release because as you say yeah. if you're talking if your whole life is about religious trauma so i'm doing conferences and i'm doing the podcast and i see clients one-on-one -on -one, uh that's a lot of religious trauma to have day in day out and then oh i'm gonna take a break and watch the news because the news is so lighthearted. right really need to act I mean, honestly do i don't I'm, I'm so glad you're doing that i don't think i could do it and people write me and say i could never do what you do mm -hmm. my shows will go two maybe three hours i can't imagine taking on someone else's religious trauma as a full-time job, seven, eight hours in a day. Mm -hmm. I, there's no way. I, I Because I, I can tell you, now mine are more contentious, contentious and argumentative and yours are, are more supportive mm -hmm. because you're talking with someone who's been victimized, right? Mm -hmm. But in my, in my situation, I feel like I'm trying to save someone who doesn't know they're a victim. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to pull them out of the burning building and they're going, the arson is a good guy. Leave me alone. Right. I'm like... Right come like it's okay and they're terrified to be outside and it's just crazy and when i'm done in those hour and a half three hours i am exhausted like yeah okay we'll do the show from three to six and then we'll have dinner i'm like i'm going to bed 
Yeah. Or I'm just going to go sit and smoke a cigar or yes. just lay on the couch. And, like, I want to watch SpongeBob. I don't want to do anything that requires any sort of thought. And right. it takes so much out of me. So I couldn't imagine doing it as long as you do uh, for, you know, as a job, like as a full, like having clients that all, there's no yeah. way. Yeah, I think that the trickiest part for me is when I am contacted by people who are still religious, like they still very much love Jesus and love God, but they're starting to recognize that there are parts of the Bible um, that don't quite work for them uh, anymore, or they recognize that their old church, you know, was really bad and traumatized them or however they want to say it. But now they're noticing some things in their new church that's also, and, and I'm an atheist and I'm typically working with people who have divorced religion. Religion is in their rearview mirror, but they're trying to unpack and process uh, everything that happened. So it is tricky when I'm when people who are still religious um, contact me and want help. And sometimes I refer them on to uh, other people. And, you know, other times I'll tell them, here's my stance. And you can look at my, uh, you can go to my website and learn about me and what I believe. Do you feel comfortable working with me? Um, and so if they do, then oh. we're off to the races, but that That's one's good. a tricky one to navigate. Yeah, I bet. I, cause I wouldn't want to let them go. I would, I would want to talk to them and hopefully help them out of their situation. But that's a decision they have to make. And I know mm -hmm. as, a, as a therapist, that's what mm -hmm. you do is it, it's more so about listening and questioning and having them come to their own solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not so much of a debate, right? But right. You, you're going to, if you push back, you're just going to strengthen their defenses. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, being an open ear is, is so important in that situation. Right. I, I get frustrated sometimes with other counselors who are still religious, like Christian counselors. I got my air quotes going on um, because I feel like a big part of being a therapist is helping clients to radically accept reality, reality, real reality, not fantasy, uh, you know, not what the hell they wish it would be. Um, and so I feel like people who are still really entrenched in religion are very much engaged in magical thinking, which is not reality. Say, I have to say, I recently signed up for, for therapy. And um, when I did, I was going through this company and they ask you all those questions. Would you want someone non-religious? Do you want someone this and this and this? And this wasn't about the person. It was more so what type of therapy you want. Okay. Non-religious secular therapy. And they, and they let me choose yeah. all of that. So nice. I did. And Day one, I, I meet with a therapist. She's amazing. I mean, so good, oh, so good. healthy. It was so good for me. And we talked through all these things. She's fantastic. She never mentions anything about faith. She did exactly what, you know, all the boxes checked. Right. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I'm, this is going to be my long-term therapist. I'm going to love her. And the second time we met, uh, she's wearing a huge cross uh. necklace. And I, I didn't, she didn't mention anything about it. She didn't say anything, but it did kind of make me have that same thought. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I know she can obviously turn it off, I guess, because she did the first time, right. but it, it, I don't know. It's not that she can't be who she wants to be. That's fine. But it did kind of make me wonder if mm -hmm. she really gets everything that I'm talking about. Right. You know I mean, so mm -hmm. yeah, that put her wearing that religious iconography put uh put a block between you rather than a, a bridge. Right. But I don't. Mm. I'm not. I'm never going to say anything about it. I would just you know. And she's she's great. But now I feel like it's it's not going to be as good as it could be if my therapist. David, right. you don't have to stay with her. <laughs> You're allowed <laughs> to find someone that you feel like will yeah. listen completely. Yeah, I'm very glad that you're endorsing therapy. People oh, yeah. need therapy. It can oh, be yeah. very helpful. I also have a therapist that I uh, meet with uh, on zoom because there's no way I could listen to everyone else's trauma all day and, and not, you know, offload some of it. I don't want to get crushed under it. Yeah. I mean, look, everybody does therapy. They just, most of them do it wrong. Um, <laughs> they, they talk to their friends over beer and they, 
just go in and rant and their their buddy isn't trained. So mm-hmm. he's just giving them bad advice or not mm-hmm. asking the right questions or supporting very destructive behavior with a nod mm-hmm. and a toast. Right. And so we all do it. There's no shame in it. Uh, you're just doing it wrong if you're only doing it with your fishing buddy or at a bar. You should talk to someone who's trained mm-hmm. in, in uh and and asking the right questions and most of the stuff and this is the this is the 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 I guess the 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 green or the what am I trying to say like the aha moment for me almost everything she's ever said to me I already knew right it's it's more so about hearing the things that you needed to hear mm-hmm. and getting permission to feel the things that you always wanted to feel but felt guilty for some other reason yes. For yeah. feeling guilty for setting up a boundary or or right. for like someone will call you selfish for having a boundary or mm-hmm. they want to insult you to get their way. And you learn mm-hmm. that those are manipulation tactics that people mm-hmm. do for people that want to help and want to love and want to be there. And so getting permission to to have self-care is super important. And your buddy's not going to do that over Bud Lights. So, <laughs> you know, do, finding a therapist and doing it someone who's certified you know, to ask the right questions is, is super right. important. Excellent. I wonder in our last few minutes, um, do you have any recommendations for other people who are on this journey of uh, religious deconversion? Oh my gosh. Um, well, selfishly, you're always welcome to come on my podcast and talk about it. Nice. Um, <laughs> I've had several people who say, you know, I'm kind of on the fence and I want I want to know what you think about some stuff. And I go, let's do it. And they come on and within weeks, they're no longer a believer. And and that's fine. And mm-hmm. there have been people come on and ask me questions about the Bible and they leave and go, I think my faith is stronger. Mm-hmm. And I go, hey, at least you're informed about what it is you believe. Let's keep talking. Um, so if there are people out there that are on the fence or if people are saying, you know, I um, I'm I I I want to talk about why I believe, but I want to talk about why the Bible is not necessary for that belief or why this isn't. You're welcome to come on. And if anyone does want to come on the show, you go to davidcsmalley.com, click be a guest, and there's a very brief form you fill out, and then I'll put you on the schedule, and I would love to talk nice. to you. Nice. Um, other than that, I would say um, uh, absorbing as much content as you can. Um, listen to Christian content. And then listen to non-Christian content or mm. even anti-Christian content. Listen mm-hmm. to what the atheists are saying and get to know their points. Um, podcasts like mine, if you're not listening to me, listen to Seth Andrews. Listen to, um, there are call-in shows that you could watch on YouTube. And, and mm-hmm. you know, there are going to be people that upset you, you know. Uh, what's the saying? The truth shall set you free, but first it'll piss you off. That's right. <laughs> um, there are going to be things that will be uncomfortable, and and that's okay. Someone corrected me on something the other day, and it didn't feel good at first, and I had to go, mm. you know what? They're right. Mm. I had to tell them, I apologize. You're mm. correct. I said this wrong thing, and I didn't mean to say that, and mm-hmm. it didn't feel good, but I'm so glad I can stand here today and say I did the right thing, and I corrected yeah. myself. Excellent. So it's, 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 it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be wrong. More than anything, and I would say to the people who are already the non-believers, mm-hmm. please don't look at this as them being your enemy. Look at this from a perspective of they are victims of bad ideas. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do for them is not give them a bunch of facts or tell them that they believe in Santa Claus for grownups mm-hmm. or insult them. You're not going to win any battles by, by belittling people. Right. Honestly, the best thing you can do that I've learned over my 12 years of doing this is helping them understand that there is a safe place to land. Mm. Because so many people that are religious, they're not just religious because they have a belief. It's about so much more than that. It's about mm-hmm. a community that they have. Mm-hmm. It's about their friends and family. Their identity. You know, their 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 cousin goes to that church mm-hmm. and the guy that helped them build the fence and they go to the barbecues yeah. and they work with three guys that also go to that church. Mm-hmm. It's about promotions and everything is, they probably met their wife there or got married yeah. to their husband at that church. The pastor counsels them. Like, you're not just going to be like, we don't even know Jesus existed. And they're going to go, okay, then I'm going to give up my entire life. Right. And then what you do is you think they should give up their faith because of that. Mm-hmm. 
So you start getting frustrated at your own inability to instantly deconvert someone. Mm. And that anger you're having, you take it out on them and project all of those feelings onto that person. Mm -hmm. And you just push them away and end up in a giant fight. So my, if you, you instead look at it as, I'm going to start from a position of love. And I, I realize that this, this believer, if they're willing to have that conversation, they've already had doubts of their own, and that's fine. We don't want to make them feel guilty. We don't want to have an aha moment. We don't want to, you know, uh, spike the ball and do a touchdown dance. Understand that that person is on a playground. And they're holding one of those bars and their feet are dangling. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea how far away the ground is. Yeah. You're standing mm -hmm. on the ground behind them and you know it's a one-inch <laughs> drop. Right. They don't know that. Mm -hmm. They don't know that they'll have a community that will love them and support them. Mm -hmm. They don't know that reality is so much more comforting than mystic beliefs. Mm -hmm. They just don't know. So are you going to berate that person and call them an idiot and say, just let go, dummy? You're not going to do anybody any favors. The thing for you to do is to walk in front of them and say, I'm standing on the ground and I'm fine. You're okay. And I'm going to be here for you. I promise you're not going to get hurt. And show them things like humanism. Instead of being anti-religious, try being pro-humanist. Nice. And, and be a voice for reason to tell people that loving human, it's okay to feel connected to something bigger than yourself. That's called all of humanity. And it's perfectly fine to feel uh, love for people you don't know. And uh -huh. we don't need a God in order to have that feeling. So sharing those types of thoughts and feelings with people can help them understand there is a way to be moral. There is a way to be good. There is a way to show love uh, without religion. And there is mm -hmm. a way to have community without religion. And once they know that's a possibility, now it's not so scary to perhaps entertain. Yeah. Maybe I might be wrong about some stuff. Wow. Beautifully, beautifully said. Very encouraging. I think what you're saying is right on the money. And earlier on, uh, you mentioned recoveringfromreligion.org. I know they're a wonderful um, community kind of organization for people who are questioning their faith or who have left the faith and are looking for support. Yeah. Journeyfree.org with Dr. Marlene Winnell, another great place um, that people can go. And certainly I encourage people to keep listening to your podcast and hopefully they'll keep listening to my podcast as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, David. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the Conference on Religion YouTube channel so you never miss an episode of the Divorcing Religion podcast. And if you feel like it, I'd love for you to support me on Patreon. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.